worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. How about tonight? The Cavaliers trying to make it four in a row overall. Ten of their last 13. They're on the road as for the third straight time they're playing a team from the sunshine state they get orlando again and joining us right now outstanding cavaliers beat reporter cleveland.com plain dealer follow him on twitter at chris fedor he is chris fedor how are you cfed what's going on guys i'm doing great how are you hey we're good thanks for making time for us chris before we get to this cav stuff because i uh, follow you on twitter and i win the the tournament the in-season tournament started i said i don't give a damn about this thing they're forcing it down my throat everything and it's your job to write on it so i'm just curious now that it's over chris from what you experienced in person and people that you've talked to media and players alike what was their take on this first ever in-season tournament by the nba they loved it they loved really? the attention that it brought to December. They loved the intensity that the games were played with. Um, I talked to multiple coaches with the Cavs that said it's not a playoff game, obviously, but it has that kind of intensity, those kinds of stakes, and that kind of preparation from the team. And look at this. So the Cavs played a game on the road in Philly. It was an in-season tournament game. They had to play the next night on a back-to-back against Miami at home. The Cavs were so mentally exhausted and emotionally exhausted from that win against Philly. Part of it was because it went into overtime, but the other part of it was because it was an in-season tournament game that they had nothing left against Miami. They were so worn out that they just didn't have it that night against Miami. And I think there was one team in the entire NBA that won the following game if it was a back-to-back after an in-season tournament game, and it might have been Toronto or something like that. So it just tells you the level of preparation that went into winning those in-season tournament games or giving your best effort in those in-season tournament games because teams cared about them more, coaches cared about them more, and players cared about them more. And that was the biggest question. Would players even care about these kinds of games? Would they raise their level? Would they play with more intensity? And the answer was, Yes, they did. They felt different, and they played different in those games. Chris, is money the end-all, be-all with these guys? Because I can't believe that trophy meant anything to LeBron, right? Uh, even the yeah, His name's going to be the first MVP, and they're going to be the first team to win the ever in-season tournament, depending on how long it lasts. But 500000 versus 200000 to the winner and losers in, in that championship game, is that uh, the most important thing? I don't think it's the most important thing. I think it's part of it, sure. Everybody wants to make money. Everybody wants to win money. And LeBron getting some of these guys that are on two-way contracts or smaller contracts, the kind of money um, that he was able to get them by caring more for the in-season tournament, that played a part in it. But the bottom line is, these are the most competitive players on the planet. If you put a competition in front of them, if you put a trophy in front of them, if you raise the stakes more than what a regular season game would be, they're going to go out and they're going to compete for that. Like, there are dudes in this Cavs locker room that do not like losing ping pong 
right? Like it kills them to lose anything. And I think that's what it is. They're just such competitors that when you put a tournament in place, when you put a trophy in front of them, they're going to play harder for that because they know that the stakes in an in-season tournament are different than Sunday, November 5th at home against the Golden State Warriors or, you know, uh, Wednesday, November 15th on the road against the Portland Trailblazers. It was just a different level um, of, of competition that, that the in-season tournament brought to a, a sleepy time of year in the schedule. I like it too, Chris. And to me, unlike Kenny, it gave you something to kind of watch that was a little bit more high energy than maybe somebody that looks mm-hmm. at it in the NBA. And, you know, maybe LeBron James doesn't want to play this week because it's load management or whatever. These guys were balling at it. The only thing I didn't really like was some of the uniforms were a bit much and the floors were really tough for it to, to really watch it. And that's just, that's marketing. And I get that. But the other thing that really took me by surprise is the fact that the way they had the groupings, I don't know how they did it, how they came up with it. I don't know if it was a blind draw or whatever, but it leads me back towards this. Uh, you look at an in-season tournament, not that much unlike what we see in college, even at the high school level, they all do in-season tournaments, but I'm kind of nervous about that team from Indiana. And they've beat the Cavaliers two times right now. And maybe it's early. Maybe they haven't been through the injury bug the way we have. Are the Pacers that good? They got the best offense in the history of the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd say that they're pretty good. Um, They don't defend anybody, and that's going to trip them up, Mm -hmm. right? But when you're scoring close to 130 points per game, and when you have a player the caliber of Tyrese Halliburton who's in the MVP conversation and you have some of the shooting that they have and you have the coach that they have in Rick mm-hmm. Carlisle who has done so many things throughout the course of his career, I don't think they're just going to completely collapse. Like their offense wow. cannot keep up this pace. There's no way that mm-hmm. this offense can keep up this pace. And unless they improve defensively, they're going to have – you know, some losses along the way, more losses than what they've had in the first quarter of the season. But but I think there's enough talent on that roster, and I think they're good enough offensively that they're not just going to completely crumble and go from the five seed in the Eastern Conference to outside the play-in picture. I think that's one of the teams very similar wow. to the Cavs last year that's going to be battling for um, one of the top six okay. spots in the Eastern Conference. Um, and it just makes the path for a team like the Cavs, for a team like the Miami Heat, for a team like the Atlanta Hawks, um, to get one of those solidified spots in the East. I mean, the play-in tournament, just to get into that, to be one of the top 10 seeds in the Eastern Conference, is going to be ultra-competitive in a way mm-hmm. in the East that we really haven't seen in a lot of years, like for so many years, the East was top heavy and everybody was talking about the separator between those top tier teams in the East and then the bottom ones. But like the back end of the Eastern Conference has gotten stronger as well. And I think it's going to create a dogfight just to get one of the top six spots in the East, especially for a team like the Cavs. Comparisons are always top heavy on our show because we want to compare not only individual uh, accolades, but teams as well. And you mentioned the fact that the Indiana Pacers this year might be last year's Cavaliers. But the thing is, last season at the All-Star break, or when they decided who the All-Stars are going to be, and Darius Garland gets edged out by Tyrese Halliburton. And we all thought, oh, this is a travesty. We're not thinking that this year, and from what we've seen, and you're, you're mentioning the fact that he might be up for the MVP. 
Tyrese Halliburton and the Indiana Pacers playing the kind of ball they play right now in a league that doesn't really focus, in my opinion, that much on defense? Or is there something missing in DG's game this year with all the turnovers, missing a couple of foul shots here and there? Is he as close to Halliburton this year as we thought he was last year or maybe ahead of him last year? I think production comes with opportunity. And Tyrese Halliburton is is responsible for everything that happens for Indiana. He's got the ball in his hands on every single possession. He doesn't have to share it with an alpha the way that Darius Ah. does in Donovan Mitchell. And it's just a different kind of style. It's a different level of responsibility that Halliburton has for Indiana. Um, and I think something that Darius is still trying to work through, I think something that the Cavs are still trying to work through, is finding a way to make Donovan and Darius as dynamic together as they can possibly be. But the numbers point to those guys working well together. With, with those two guys on the court in about 300 total minutes, the Cavs are outscoring opponents by about 12 points per 100 possessions. But there's still some on-court conflicts in terms of my turn, your turn, who's going to be on the ball, who's going to be off the ball, that the Cavs have to continue to work through to take that next step with Darius and Donovan together so that when they get into a seven-game series against a team like New York or Brooklyn or Atlanta or whoever it may be, that those two guys, function at a higher level than what they did in the playoff series against the Knicks. So I don't know necessarily if it's a situation where Tyrese Halliburton has bypassed Darius or LaMelo Ball has bypassed Darius or ex-point guard in the Eastern Conference, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Maxey, whoever you want to throw out there has passed up Darius. I think Darius has had to take a step back from his all-star level to integrate Donovan and share the team with Donovan in a way that Tyrese Halliburton does not have to share the Indiana Pacers with anybody. Chris Fedor, our guest, Cavs beat reporter. Chris, uh, why have they been playing better as of late? Nine of 12 wins, three in a row. Their defense. This is a defense first team, and they have questions on offense and what their ceiling is going to be on the offensive end, and can they be the shooting team that they thought they were going to be coming into this year? All those things still exist. Get this. Over the last 12 games, guys, the Cavs ranked 23rd on the offensive end, bottom 10 in the league, and yet they're 9-3 and three during that stretch. Why? Because they've got the third-best defense in the NBA over that stretch. Gerald Allen is back. He's anchoring the defense alongside Evan Mobley. Um, Darius and Donovan have put in the effort on the defensive end of the floor. They're more pesky. They get deflections. They get steals. Max Struess has held up on the perimeter. Defensively, Dean Wade has brought a huge lift to the team's defense as well. Isaac Okoro doing the things that Isaac Okoro has done on the defensive end of the floor since he came in here. So even though they have legitimate questions about the offensive end of the floor, and even though that hasn't been as consistent as the Cavs would want, This is a defense-first team. That's how they've been built. That's the mentality that they have. And over the last 12 games, they've been the third-best defense in the NBA. They've gotten back to the defense that they showed last year when they won 51 games, got the four seed, and advanced to the playoffs for the first time in five years. If they continue to defend like that, they're going to continue to rise up the standings, and they're going to continue to look like the team that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. 
if they have slippage on the defensive end of the floor the way that they did at the beginning of the season and they give up 120 points to teams like Indiana and Oklahoma City, it's going to be hard for them because they don't have an offense like Indiana, right? They don't have an offense like the Sacramento Kings. They don't have an offense like the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, they can't afford the step back defensively that they had at the beginning of the year if they want to be the team um, that they believe they can be. So as long as they're playing defense at the level that they have shown during this stretch, they're going to be fine. Chris, what are they trying to do offensively? I mean, we're still trying to figure out what the role of Evan Mobley offensively is going to be. We, yeah. You make a great point. Defense first, but should we be expecting a little bit more from Evan Mobley? I love it when they go big to big. I like it when they go pick and pop. They don't extremely run the pick and roll that well, but uh, Bickerstaff thought he was going to run a little bit different sets offensively. What gives with this offense? Well, they are running different sets offensively, and they have varied their offensive tack as well. Um, and look, the base of this offense is always going to be pick and roll. It's always okay. going to be the high pick and roll because Darius Garland is an elite pick and roll player and Donovan Mitchell is an elite pick and roll player and Jared Allen is one of the league's premier pick and roll bigs. Mix in Evan Mobley and the capability that he has on the pick and roll. The Cavs would be stupid to go away from that given the personnel that they have. But the question is, can they diversify it around those guys? Can they create other actions around those guys and around that particular set? And I feel like they have at times. They're getting more movement with Max Struess. Max Struess is running some lob stuff with Jarrett and Evan Mobley. Max Struess is coming off of pin downs, and he's doing some DHO stuff with the big guys. And that really, really helps. And they've got some actions that are going away from the ball and cuts and big to big. So it's not the same on a possession-to-possession basis. It's not as predictable as it was last year. It hasn't been as dynamic. It hasn't been as explosive. I think part of that, guys, is that they have had so many missing players. And it's not an excuse. It's just some of the things that they've had to navigate that's making it tricky to get the offense together, to get everybody on the same page, to get some continuity, some chemistry, some camaraderie. They haven't had a ton of practice time. They haven't had as many available bodies to practice. J.B. Bickerstaff said the break in the schedule that they had recently while the in-season tournament was going on, they were able to put in some new offensive sets, and they started to use those against Orlando the other night. They used them against Miami the other night. So I think they're just coming together, and they're still trying to figure out what is going to be some of the best stuff that they can run, what are going to be some of their best lineups and combinations they're working through all those kinds of things they're learning how to play with somebody like max true stylistically they're learning how to play with somebody like george niang stylistically so i think all of the signs are starting to become more and more positive they have to continue on that kind of trajectory um they have to find a way to make this offense um, a little bit more consistent than what it has been but there have been flashes of this offense being different um, and more creative and more diverse than what we saw last year when it was entirely pick and roll. They were the most pick and roll heavy team in the NBA, not named the Dallas Mavericks. And it just, it hasn't been to that same level this year. What about Evan Mobley, Chris? 16, 10 and a half, uh, pretty much. Is that going to be career numbers for him? Is that, uh, I mean, we're seeing other bigs, 
um, stepping out and hitting threes, right? Wembenyama's doing it. Uh, who's the, the the tall kid from uh, uh, that's an OKC that broke his foot last year? Holmgren. Holmgren, right? I forgot about Mike Holmgren. Um, he's stepping out and hitting threes. What? When is the evolution of Evan Mobley's game going to start to uh, show up on a regular basis? It has. It honestly has. It just hasn't been what fans want, right? Fans want him to shoot the three like you, Kenny. Fans want him to stretch his game out to the perimeter and knock down those mid-range shots. Like, yes, he still struggles as an outside shooter. When he gets beyond five feet, his numbers plummet. But that doesn't mean he isn't evolving offensively. Last year, 25% of his shots were assisted by teammates. This year, that number has grown, and he's doing a little bit more creating for himself. He's doing a little bit more finishing his own stuff. He's getting the ball off of rebounds and running the length of the court. We didn't see that last year from Evan Mobley, right? We didn't see him operating at times as an offensive hub from the elbow spot. Those things, they're small, right? They're small incremental developments, but they show a difference in the way that he's playing. They show a difference in the way that the Cavs offense is functioning. They show a difference in the way um, that he's being used on the offensive end of the floor. But in saying all of that, most nights he is going to be no higher than the third option offensively on this team. Some nights he's going to be the fourth offensive option behind Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and Karis LeVert. And when it comes to production, that comes with opportunity. He doesn't get the same number of shots as some of those other guys that you were talking about. He doesn't have the same freedom within the offense as some of those guys that you're talking about. He doesn't have the same usage rate on the offensive end as some of those guys that you're talking about. So he can be different. He can be evolved. He can be um, an impactful player without doing those kinds of things. Um, He does need to become a better shooter. He works on it daily. He's a tireless worker. He's working on trying to get his release higher and not shooting as flat of a ball. Um, He's continuing to be more of a playmaker and initiator on the offensive end of the floor. So, like, there are signs of some of those things coming. He does have weaknesses on the offensive end. There's no doubt about it. But even playing through those weaknesses and even with some of those weaknesses still on his resume, he is making an impact on a nightly basis. He is still one of the Cavs' most important players. I just don't think, unless Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Karis LeVert, one, two, or three of those guys are going to be out, that you're going to see this dominant offensive force who's going out there scoring 25 to 30 points on consecutive nights or something like that. That's just not his role within this offense. The opportunities for him to do that just aren't there to the same level that some of these other young guys are getting. Well, we'll see as the season goes on if more opportunity presents itself for him or with the ball-dominant guards, uh, this is what we're going to get from him offensively, and you hope that he really impacts it on the defensive end, which, as you pointed out in this interview, is why they're winning games as of late. Hey, Chris, thanks for jumping on on short notice. Keep up the fantastic work. Uh, We'll talk to you again down the road, all right? You got it, guys. Anytime. Chris Fedor, Cavs beat reporter, Cleveland.com, joining us from Orlando before tonight's game between the Cavs and the Magic.